Pasa Mufasa. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Let's get down to business. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, Farm Boy Slim. We did it on the podcast. How are things on the farm today? Things are good. Things are nice and nice and relaxed out here. Got off work early, just having a nice day. Cool, man. Well, the Farm Boy Slim universe is extremely alluring, as many people can attest to, so I'm excited to find out a little bit more about it. So we should probably get the initial point of contact about how we sort of met out of the way first, where I took a dig at you and suggested that you being outspoken about psilocybin mushrooms and how to use them might be in some way hampered or discredited by your anonymity which obviously legions of your fans disagreed with and you put together a great response video, which led to this podcast, essentially. I never really had a strong opinion about it in the first place, but it did get a lot of traction. So was it the right move? Debatable. 99% of feuds between public figures are manufactured by the PR team. So I just manufactured that shit myself. Welcome to the podcast. What were your first impressions of me and why did you decide to accept the invitation, even though you admitted that the invitation was a little antagonizing? So first I saw it and I was like, I, I showed the phone to my my girlfriend. I'm like, "Fucks with this guy," <laughs> and and she's like, "Yeah, he's just looking for attention." Fuck that guy. I'm like, "Okay, whatever." So then I I forgot about it, you know. But then uh, Weed Pro actually hit me up on uh, TikTok or Discord, and he was like, "Hey, have you seen this guy?" And I kind of explained that I was like, "Yeah, I, I don't I don't know," but he's like, "No, I looked at some of his other stuff and it was really cool." And I'm like. Oh, you know what? I'll I'll just I'll think about it and I'll go check it out because I never really you know I never really paid any attention, but then I went and you know checked out your page and that that's when I decided to re- respond. Like I I get lots I get get plenty of comments and things that are like, you know, not even like so much more mean. You know, because what you did wasn't mean. You you just had an opinion, right? See, I'm really into fucking rap battling. <laughs> so I'm like, this could go one of two ways, <laughs> you know, I just figured, you know, why not do it and be, you know, kind of entertaining about it and then see, Hey, and, and you know, it's worked out. So your rapping is awesome. And I want to get to that at a certain point and, uh, to get that out of the way. Great. Thank you for coming on. So I found out about you and about farm boy slam, probably in the same way that most of your audience and people around the world have. And that's, I started using TikTok and then all of a sudden you kept popping up on my timeline in a very visually striking and memorable way, which obviously is by design. So I want to hear about like, how did you first get started on TikTok? Like, is this your first medium where you've gone viral or are there like secret farm boy, slim digital lives that are floating around there on other platforms? Yeah, no, this is the, this is the first time I've ever um, had any kind of success getting my content to people. I've started up the TikTok a year ago, a couple of friends were like, we decided to try and push some of our music and we didn't know how to do that. But the more I started working with this, these guys, I was like, man, these guys are really fucking like their music's really fucking good. And I, I just, I don't really want all that like attention like I, I used to. And I feel like if I hang out with these guys too much, we might pop and get fucking too famous. <laughs> But yeah, so I, I decided, I was like, you know what, I got to find a fucking cool way to cover up my shit. So I built the costume and they helped me with that. And then they helped me record my first videos and um, they're called Bad Taste, by the way. Shout out. Um, and uh, 
they, uh, you know, they got me going. And then we had some tension later on because the channel blew up fucking immediately, like within a day of posting our like first videos on there. It was like the next day I was like, oh, look at that. We just hit 10K followers. And they're like, what? And so I'm sure, you know, it was exciting, but there was also a little bit of that. Like our shit hasn't done that yet. I think, I don't know. I don't think that really, really factored into it. Mostly what happened was we, after it popped and I was doing it for like a month, like we had some disagreements on how the channel should be run and managed. And I mean, ultimately I, I won out just because I own the channel. Um, but, uh, but I decided, I was like, I don't want to push music on here now, now that I'm like on here talking about mushrooms and stuff, because it, it feels, it feels disingenuous. Like everybody followed me because of the mushroom information. Now I'm like, Hey, check out my fucking song, you know? Um, and now like later on, like a year later, I'm like, Oh, well, I understand how the algorithm works now. And I know that like, you know, a lot of people like hearing some of the shit that I put on there. So I'm not, I don't really care anymore. Now I, I'll promote music all day. It doesn't really matter. You know what? I appreciate you. And I think that's why a lot of the people in your audience have stuck around is like, you know, it's easy in some senses to like have a viral video, but like to retain an audience is a whole different story. And I think that people wouldn't be sticking around and you wouldn't have the following you did if it wasn't for kind of the broad spectrum more comprehensive aspect of what you do. And I think it gets really disingenuous when someone just promotes one thing over and over and over. Example, you know, like if you're in the music industry and you're like constantly promoting your music, I've heard a lot of perspective people saying like, well, show us your life, like show us who you are, you know, because if we connect with you as a creator, then like, we're probably gonna like your music too. And thinking about some of the bands that I like, like for example, I'm not a huge Steve Aoki fan or Skrillex fan, but I love watching their tour documentaries because they're just having so much fun. And it's like deepened my appreciation for these artists because I feel like I've connected with them. Like, I feel like I know Diplo, even though I don't, I don't you know, just by like seeing all the shit that he's up to, like I like him and it makes me like his music. So I don't know, that's one thing I wanted to ramble about. So. You know, I, I used to teach multimedia production at a high school in San Diego back in 2019. My students were already on TikTok and were trying to get me on that platform, which was the last thing I wanted to do is like be connected to my students. Like I already had a public facing YouTube channel. You know, I kept my Instagram kind of private and separate from school, same as Facebook. But it's kind of funny in that like I kind of told them like, ah, another social media platform like A, I don't have time for it. B, I don't think it's going anywhere. And now I imagine like if I had jumped on that wave in 2019, like anything could have happened. However, I wouldn't be putting out mushroom or drug policy content. I can assure you that or not at that time. So kind of like the same as you, I didn't really take TikTok even marginally seriously until I started a mushroom chocolate company last year selling functional mushroom chocolates with like lion's mane and reishi. Dude, I posted a six second video thinking nothing of it. And then it got, you know, 50,000 views overnight. And my inbox was flooded with like people trying to buy mushrooms from me. So I had to explain that like, they're not the mushrooms you think they are, but like, they're also tight. But anyways, after that one video, I saw that potential for TikTok to like astronomically, you know, promote you to all kinds of people. You would probably never have that kind of reach on another app. And, uh, and here I am now posting regularly. So I got sucked into it myself, but I'm curious, like I've seen that you've also started spending time on discord. And I know that a lot of people have been doing that because especially people who talk about psychedelic mushrooms, et cetera, 
Like it's really easy to get censored. I've been shadow banned. I learned people have told me like, dude, you're shadow banned. So I don't know what to do about that. But like, at what point did you decide to start building a, a discord community? And what are some of the advantages or drawbacks to building on that channel, as opposed to like focusing all your efforts on TikTok? So discord is my favorite part of this entire experience for me. It's like what I w actually want with the channel instead of getting, you know, 20 million people saying you know basic first day questions like like slews of comments that are like how much how much to take how much to take like come on i'm not google i can actually like talk to people and have conversations with people and help people if need be inside of discord i started that about a year ago a couple months after the channel started when one of my followers was like hey i'll like moderate for you and all that and you should do that and i'm like okay so I started it and like there was not really any traction on it, nothing going on for like two or three months. I had, I think, like 300 people, 250 people in the Discord. And then after that, I started, you know, advertising it on TikTok and stuff. There's up to there's like 5000 people in there right now. But back to what I was saying, like the most important part of Discord is that I'm able to have long conversations with people. Just anybody who has a question for me, I will see it, you know. And those are the people who really have questions, not just like someone scrolling by and leaving a comment really fast and then fucking off, you know? They really want to know what it is that they're asking you. And, you know, you get a lot of the you get a lot of the real the real ones in there. I really love it. Sure. So it's more of a community, right? As opposed to like a following, it seems like from the people that I've talked to. Let's dive into mushrooms, early mushroom experiences that were influential or transformative for you. I always like to ask people about the first time they ate mushrooms and was it immediately impactful and significant for you, that first mushroom experience? Or did it take a couple of experiences for you to really dial into and build a relationship with the mushroom experience? My first mushroom trip was definitely impactful. It wasn't like huge or anything, but it was, I took some Pinela Cinctulis at a party and I sat there for two hours and nothing was happening. My friend called me and she was like, hey, can you come jump my car? I'm like, yeah, sure. Nothing's, nothing's going on, whatever. So I get in my car and I start driving. And the second I start driving, all, it sounds like all my doors and windows are open and I'm trying to close my doors and roll up my windows, but everything's closed. Um, and it just got like really loud in the car and I got on the freeway and I started sinking into the road I'm like, Oh shit, this must be the things. <laughs> and, uh, I felt like I was on the freeway for hours, but I got off at the next exit. It's like two miles away. And I pulled over and parked in a parking lot and I just sat there and watched my steering wheel make faces at me and stuff. I mean, again, not like a super big trip or anything, but it was just, it's something that I could never forget because it was such like a, it didn't kick in until I started driving. So I had like this fear adrenaline rush that came along with it. It was great. <laughs> it was a great first experience. Did you try to do mushrooms again shortly after that? Or was there like a period, like a gap? Like in my case, I had a pretty awesome, impactful first experience, but I didn't eat mushrooms again for like eight months after that. I didn't want to immediately go back to it. And I'm just curious, like, is that something where you you know, your attention was peaked to the point where you're like, I got to try these again soon. The next year and a half was is pretty blurry. I tripped way too fucking much. Didn't know what I was doing. It was just kind of like, you know, I was not a happy person anyway. And I was just kind of spiraling. If we're talking about impactful, there's a few. And I, I don't know about my early ones. It's hard to remember a lot of my early ones just because I was so fucked up most of the time. When I moved to, uh, I moved to Berkeley when I was, um, in my early twenties and 
me and some friends took a low dose of mushrooms and a low dose of acid. And we were just hanging out, running around Berkeley. Like we were a few blocks away from the school and uh, it was just like the creamiest, coolest day ever. And we all like split off and met together and split off and met together. It was just like a serendipitous, beautiful day, you know? And then that night we get back and <laughs> that night we get back and we're all trying to order pizza. And none of us can order pizza because we keep breaking down every time we see the bouncing Domino's pizza. <laughs> anyway, that was fun. You know, um, it wasn't life changing. You know, it wasn't like big uh, spiritual awakening or uh, life, you know, questions being answered. But it was just like one of the nicest, most enjoyable ex- psychedelic experiences I've ever had. As far as something more like mentally impactful, that came for me more in taking smaller doses over a long period of time, not microdosing, but um, like once a week I was taking, or I was taking a half a gram on Wednesdays and a gram and a half on Saturdays. And I did that for a few months. And over the course of those few months, I was, and that was combined with like exercise and stuff that experience just turned me into like a much happier, much healthier person. And it gave me just a new like breath in my life. Um, I'd say that's the, probably the most important thing that mushrooms have ever done for me was that, that period. And that was only two, two years ago, a little over two years ago. What about you, man? What, what's going on? Uh, what, what's your, like, what was your like deep connection moment to mushrooms? Yeah, that happened probably my fourth or fifth experience. And I decided to do a solo macrodose. And I was at this transitional point in my life where I was about to graduate high school. I was about to go off to the University of San Francisco. So like I was flooded with this sense of opportunity and also sort of like almost an identity crisis where I was like, I don't know who I'm going to be up there. You know, like I got my whole social connection down here in San Diego. I got my friends. I got my, who I think I am, but I'm about to start this new chapter where like, I don't really know who I am outside of, you know, being surrounded by family and friends all the time. And so I went for it. I had just read Food of the Gods, which I think is an influential book for a lot of psychonauts, the Terrence McKenna book. And he talks a lot about like the value or the visionary potential of like a higher dose. So I did a seven gram dose and about 45 minutes into it, my whole body was buzzing and then hieroglyphics started streaming down the wall. And I'll never forget that because I was just so taken aback by the fact that I felt like there's some intelligence here. Like it went from, you know, I had played beer pong, I had smoked a lot of weed, I had done this and that and the other, but I had never had like this cathartic moving spiritual experience, nothing like that before. But then, you know, as I think you've spoken about, and I've certainly learned more about this later on, like it becomes difficult to integrate an experience like that because like the next morning I had to fucking go to high school, you know, and like go and try to explain to my friends that I just was tripping balls and seeing hieroglyphics and like, you know, staying up till five in the morning with uh, thinking that the earth was shaking and shit like that. Like, so, you know, over time, that was an important experience. But I think that, as you mentioned, like I've come around to really appreciating half eighth doses and just like, you know, that kind of lower dose and being able to sort of integrate it into my life, think about relationships, think about my business, this, that, and the other, like that's been awesome. And just like you, when I went up to the Bay Area, I tripped way too fucking much because all of a sudden, you know, I just had 
tons of mushrooms at my disposal. You have sort of a bubble, like consequence-free reality when you're in university and like in San Francisco on the Hate Street and Golden Gate Park and all that stuff and going over to Berkeley. So I think that at a certain point I had to like figure out, you know, I have to scale this back. Like more is not always better. Like maybe it's cool that you, there are these like visionary landscapes and you can go into that. But at the same time, like if you don't have sort of a purpose or a reason, you could almost do more harm to yourself just by constantly tripping and by constantly searching for something. So that, that was sort of like, I guess, a maturing phase in my life to like stop trying to go for these like Hail Mary big doses and scale it back and like focus on my relationships and focus on my health and things like that. So that's where I'm at, man. But I also got to say that I'm a huge fan of like recreational social doses at concerts and at parties and things like that. Case in point, I took two grams when I went to see the Flaming Lips in Tucson last year, and it was such a meaningful, beautiful experience. I was like crying, I'm screaming along, I'm shouting, you know, you're with some of your best friends, I was with my wife, and then you leave the concert and you're like, damn, that was so meaningful, that was such a good time, I feel right, I feel ecstatic and elated right now. I'm like, that for me is all I'm looking for at this point. Like, I'm not looking for like the big macro dose, like what's the next chapter? It's just like, give me a half eighth and some hot springs and some friends all day long. Yeah, I totally get that. It's also at this point, right? You're not looking to be like, I need a massive change in my life, you know? <laughs> like those those gigantic trips can can feel like that where like they, they really do reset you in a and they and can it often be in a different direction. And I'm totally on board with what you're saying about that. Just yeah, taking, you know, under two grams, two grams ish. You know, if I'm feeling like really going hard sometimes, maybe I'll take three. <laughs> but no more no more of the five, seven, fourteen gram trips that that are uh, you know, so prolific yet hard to integrate. They have their place in time. And just as you said, like sometimes when I think about it, I'm like, damn, I really just want to like order a pizza, watch a movie, hang out with my dog. Like I'm not necessarily trying to like shake up the whole Dennis Walker thing right now. Like I think it's good where it's at. And uh, let's pivot into talking about music, man. Cause I know that's something that's important to you. It's important to me. And you know, you started this channel basically as an outlet for music, it sounds like, but I would love to hear about some of your influences, you know, uh, some of the people who have shaped you, who have got you into music in the first place, who are some of your writer dies? Who are some of your like seminal influences? Who are you listening to right now? I'm always listening to Lil Wayne. That guy's top of my list probably for Don't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Wayne is my favorite, probably my favorite artist of all time. Like he's just, he's one of the only musical artists that I've seen continue to get better, you know, like really better at their craft over a career of like 20, 25 years, you know? Um, so Lil Wayne is just phenomenal. And every time he comes on, it's just like <laughs> when he came out with, with, uh, that song, Mamma Mia, like it wasn't like mainstream or anything. It was off the funeral album. And, I don't know. The beat was so wild and his rapping style was so wild on it that it's like, I'd never heard anything like that before. And that was like a year and that was two years ago, you know? So like, yeah, he always is good. Surprises me. Um, as far as rap goes, like obviously Eminem's in there just because he's fucking Eminem, you know? Um, and then Biggie. Yeah. Notorious B I G. My cat's name is Biggie Smalls. 
he's he's a munchkin he's got little short legs so he's like biggie smalls it's pretty dope but oh yeah but uh ready to die was like the first rap album i ever memorized like front to back and you know that that will that'll always just be a big part of my style every once in a while i break out into some shit and i'm like ah, man i'm not me i'm fucking biggie like, <laughs> um but uh let's see aside from that i don't know about other influences aside from hip-hop it's that's my primary mode um really love led zeppelin really love the lumineers really love like i love folksy stuff i like a little bit of country stuff but um yeah mostly hip-hop <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, this seems like a good point to drop that. I used to live in Malibu, which was a really weird place because we were in this like ocean view house and I was actually cat sitting, which was like a really unique opportunity. So like I didn't have to pay any rent and I was living in this dope ocean view Malibu house. I had a little recording studio where I was recording Outlaw Country because that's been a jam of mine for a long time, like Waylon Jennings style, Willie Nelson's stoner mushroom Outlaw Country music. And my downstairs roommate, was like a platinum songwriter who did a song with Lil Wayne. He did a feature with Wayne on a song called My Heart Races On. His name's Jake Troth. I was low key, like I was always trying to work on music with him and he just was not down. He was like very insular, but that's fine. You know, that's how people are. And I have to learn to respect that, some cool stuff. I just thought that was a funny story because I also love Wayne a lot as, how can you not, you know? And even more so, I'm probably a bigger fan of his protege, to be honest. Like I love Drake unabashedly. I've really enjoyed following Drake's career as well. But like recently in the rap world, like I've totally, I think I'm late to the party, but like I've recently discovered and fallen in love with Chance the Rapper. I just love how like, eccentric off the cuff uh and spiritual he is like the music really draws from a lot of like gospel and spiritual traditions like a la kanye west and that's really moving to me so that's fun but radiohead they changed my life bjork i fuck with bjork really heavy and you know i mentioned the outlaw country stuff like that so i'm always trying to find new music and fun music i saw jay-z in concert that was pretty hard to beat honestly just because he's such a you know epic performer i agree man He's the best rap concert I've ever seen, and it's mainly because his audio is so clear where so many rappers are like, you know, into the microphone, and you hear every last fucking word he says on stage, and everything is crystal clear, and he comes up with the full fucking band. Uh, it's awesome watching him. I love the full band hip-hop. Like, I almost made it to see Wu-Tang Clan with a symphony at Red Rocks, and kind of regret not doing it but you know like I, I love artists like yourself who like take creative risks and i think that's what draws me to people's bodies of work is like for example if someone becomes very successful with what they're doing and then they just kind of like do it over and over and over i quickly lose interest in that and like for example the smashing pumpkins i loved the smashing pumpkins when i was in like middle school and then they tried something and it didn't really work and like i just over time i've completely dissociated myself with it as opposed to various other artists like Kanye. Like I love what Kanye is doing with the Sunday service. I think it's so risky. It's so awesome. And, you know, it takes a lot of gumption and nerve for an artist to put themselves out there. And certainly like a smaller or myself, a smaller creator, like I try to follow that pattern where like if I've done something that works rather than get pigeonholed into trying to like do the same thing over and over and getting typecast, it's like you want to explore new outlets. You want to push the boundary instead of just like doing the same comfortable thing over and over the P song that I put up on my page that's going like a lot of people are seeing it right now where the kids holding like this bottle of yellow liquid and it's like a song about love. And I'm just like, is that piss in a bottle? And I just, I go into a whole verse about that. And I've never like 
roasted somebody like that before, you know? And yeah, I, I it was a total like I don't even know if this is going to work or if I'm going to be uh, you know, scorned for doing this, but it's working really well. So, I mean, yeah, I know what you're saying you want to you want to be able to do different things and and enjoy it like I get I I've been pigeonholed before on the TikTok with like doing too many like trip tips and like getting super nuanced with that kind of shit because it works to a certain extent. But yeah, I've I've uh, been happy to try and reshape that and or move away from it as much as I can. Fuck yeah. So when are you dropping the LP or the EP or have you already dropped one that I'm unaware of? No, I have old projects under different monikers that I'm not, you know, releasing. Um, I took Basically, from my old life, I took everything down, deleted everything off the internet. It was just like, you know what? This is a clean slate. This fucking platform's actually fucking working for me. It's not just spinning my fucking wheels anymore. You know, 10 years of just making music and nobody fucking hearing it and, you know, going to doing shows and getting, you know, <laughs> never more than like 30 people at a show, you know? And it was all just, it, it was led to a lot of fucking why am i doing this creative burnout like yeah i love making the music but like if i can't play it for anybody and i spend 30 hours a week on this like it's gonna run me into the goddamn ground um so yeah i'm really happy to actually have something that fucking works for me now what are some of the benefits of anonymity for you? I mean, you kind of touched upon this in the video that you made. You know, you mentioned you used to want a lot of attention. You used to like want to be like seen and this and that and the other. And like now you're actually a lot more comfortable with people not knowing who you are. And it's uh, this anonymous influencer thing is super new to me. What are some of the the benefits of maintaining anonymity as a, as an influencer with a large public following? The primary benefit is that nothing about your life changes, you know, um, you don't have all of those. And it's not like, look, a few hundred thousand followers on TikTok doesn't really change your life. You know, it's not like fame, but it still keeps away prying eyes. You know, it keeps you, if it keeps like the possibility of being recognized in public to fucking zero unless I'm dressed up and want to be recognized, you know? Um, so I love that. I guess that's a, a type of, I, I love that power to be able to just be like, this is this life and this is this life and I can keep them separate. And it feels just way more comfortable that way. And, and then, you know, just, I don't, I just, man, I don't have the fame. I don't want it. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, like I touched on people around me who don't want that kind of attention, you know, uh, there's others, people, other people's children and stuff, uh, other people's professions, you know, like being associated with me, it may or may not have an adverse effect on someone's life. And I have no idea what that is, especially for like the people closest to me who I live with their, you know, their lives shouldn't change because mine is, you know? Um, and then an unexpected benefit of it is that people love it. Like I didn't expect the anonymity to become part of what people find alluring about the concept or the, the, the content. 
Um, I, I found that to be just like a happy surprise that most people, A, have zero fucking interest in who I am personally, individually. They have all the interest in, you know, what information I can give. Um, and, uh, people are just like, like, yeah, it would, it would just ruin it. It would ruin it if you took off your mask. Like, what's the, what's the point? Where's the, where's the allure in that? You know, that's where it would be to me. It would feel like an attention grab to try and like, be like, and I'm going to do a face reveal, (laughs) you know? And, and that's a, that's a trick you can only play once. And I never want to play that trick. Yeah, you know, I had uh, Garrett from Unicorn Bags on the podcast, and Unicorn Bags are like probably the preeminent mushroom cultivation bags in the world. And he's like super, super awesome as a person. I've met him a few times, but like his public brand is nobody knows what he looks like, you know, outside the people have met him because he has the unicorn head that he puts on. It's kind of like the same deal. And he's told me like he's planning a face reveal, but every time he thinks about doing it, he's just like, I'm not ready yet. Like, I don't want to do it. Like this this mystique is part of the unicorn brand or at least the public facing brand. And, you know, if you ever look up on YouTube, like unicorn bags or any of that, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's not, it's because it's, it's not about him, you know, it's, and it's not about me or my face. Like that's, I think that's the, one of the the biggest draws, especially like for him, for his unicorn brand. Like it, if he took, like who gives a shit if he takes off his mask, you know, like they don't care about him. They care about what he's doing. It's it's not a it's not an ego thing if if he's covered up and and just doing a good thing for people, you know. Yeah, there's also a parallel to Lucha Libre and I've seen a few Lucha Libre matches in Mexico City and Tijuana and there's a lot of like masked heels or villains and there's a lot of cosmology within the Lucha Libre mask uh within the Lucha Libre match of who wears the mask and if an opponent can unmask the villain then the villain loses their powers and it's built into storylines where they they kind of like make this big theatrical display about it where like someone's about to pull the mask off and they show a little reveal and then they get defeated or whatever and i just think it's kind of funny like you know masks historically like in a lot of traditions that they are something that protect anonymity it's certainly integrated into ritual like I've been down to Panama with the, I think the Ambera indigenous people have a tradition with masks and it's just kind of like a fascinating thing. Um, I just wanted to touch on that about the Mexican wrestling because I think it's kind of funny about like that if they can keep the mask on, they keep their powers. But as soon as they're unmasked, then like they're revealed to the public and they're no longer this character or figure that continue in that, that can continue in that plot line. What's it been like for you? Uh, you know, what are some of your perspectives on the fact that like mushrooms are taking over the world right now and that they're on the cover of Newsweek and BBC programming and the Johns Hopkins study. And like, you know, now the Biden administration has announced that they anticipate that psilocybin therapy will be legal within the next two years. So just would love to hear just like a little bit of perspective about that. I think it's wonderful that that's happening. Um, I think it's a step in the right direction that all of all of the mainstream news outlets are now considering them. And all that means is that in the next few years, we're looking at a possible legal legalization. Um, totally like, like marijuana did, you know, it comes out for a while, um, in a medicinal form therapy, which is, I mean, honestly, it's greatest use, I think. 
Um, the other ones are fun and great and, you know, good feeling and all that, but you know, it's therapeutic value is unmatched. Um, and then, you know, in a probably, you know, if, <laughs> if I got to put a wild guess out there, we'll probably have total, you know, not federal, but state legalization probably by 2030. Um, and that's something I'm really looking forward to more, more on that. Like, I don't want, you know, I don't want part of my lifestyle to be illegal. I like that. I, I love that, that mushrooms are part of my life and it is, you know, baked into who I am, but I, I would rather n not have to, you know, keep it quiet. You know, I would rather everybody, I would rather it be like walking down the street and you can buy some. Um, now I feel that's, that can be problematic in a way where marijuana isn't, where if you get too stoned, you don't do much. Um, but being too fucked up on mushrooms and having a bad experience and not knowing what you're doing and going off the handle is something that can absolutely happen. And, and that is a risk I see with the legalization. So I do have my reservations there because people make mistakes and when people are young and upset they make or just any age and upset they make serious mistakes and that can be you know amplified by being under the influence of a psychedelic and i you know that's something we always have to look out for that's a big part of why i'm so like I so strongly advocate for smaller doses because most of the people who see my content are pretty new, I think to psychedelics and you know, back when we were coming up, it was like, what's a dose. And for the first time they just hand you like, eh, just take an eighth of cubensis, you know, not, not a fucking shy dose of mushrooms, honestly. And that's just, that's bad advice. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. And I do, but even though I, there's, there's that, I do really want it to be legal. I just, I want all the information to be out there, um, because people need to be allowed to make that decision for themselves, you know, fuck prohibition. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious it doesn't work and it creates this framework for a lot of things to go wrong. I think when people are having to be very secretive about it, or, you know, there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of myths that are out there and we're with regulation, you know, and I, I kind of, ping pong back and forth. You know, I don't know that there is a perfect way to legalize it. I also think that it's great that this public interest is there, but uh, things are happening very quickly. And I've been tracking it, you know, interviewing people and talking to people. And there's so many different stakeholders, like so many different people coming from different perspectives when things start to get legalized. And it's going to be really interesting to track it. What are some of your favorite strains or maybe ones that you like to cultivate? Well, I used to cultivate a bunch of cubensis back in the day when I, I was able to get a hold of some spores. Somebody off Shroomery sent me some from like Australia or something. Um, I cultivated a bunch of Kosamui cubensis. Those were, those really grew the best on cakes. I never did monotubs because I, I don't know. I think I was intimidated by them for some reason, or maybe I was impatient because you have to wait like twice as long. Yeah, I grew some uh, Kosamui's, Amazon's, um, Albino B plus and a couple others, but you know, general cubensis nowadays. Um, my favorite, my absolute favorite strain is psilocybavoidiosistidiata, which is a, actually that will grow in San Diego. There is one 
experiment I've found online of people growing it indoors, but that's with already active mycelium. They took the mycelium and created the proper conditions inside of like a terrarium in their room and they were able to get them, but they, they still looked, they didn't look quite as, you know, they didn't look nearly as beefy. <laughs> uh, they looked a little anemic in the pictures, which I mean, it's impressive to grow a species like that, that does not take well to being put indoors. Yeah. But yeah, mostly outside I've, uh, this year I've, I mostly find them. I don't really grow them, but I found a bunch and in uh, nurseries and I bought the plants that they were in, and now I've got those plants hanging out in my backyard. So next year, hopefully, you know, some more will fruit out of there, as long as I keep the mycelium alive. And uh, yeah, so Psilocyba voidiocystidiata is by far my favorite, mainly for its potency. Um, it's not as strong as cubensis. It's not as circusy like cubensis is. Like I've, I tend to have this feeling on cubensis where it's like I'll even like hallucinate the sounds of like like you know like the circus has come to town and these are way more like grasslandy feel like something about them is just like kind of swishy it's it's way less vertical feeling and way more horizontal feeling if that makes any sense um love them and then you know psilocybe cyanescence are another one of my favorites they're i i found a ton of them in san francisco once one year i found them in uh the Presidio, they're not there anymore, unfortunately, or else I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't tell you where I found them. Can't out your spots like that. <laughs> but one year I found a fuck ton of them there. Um, they were, that was just beautiful. They're very strong. They're stronger than Cubensis by a little bit, but not definitely not like Penis Envy. Those have become unbelievably strong. I feel like it's mar it's like marijuana where they've selectively bred mushrooms to become just like kind of big beefy versions of what they were. And the, the penis envy, especially al albino penis envy, are probably, they're probably stronger than Azurasins at this point, which is fucking staggering. They're so strong. Um, but yeah, Cyanessins and um, primarily Ovoidiosistidiata are are just my, my top, top go-to ones if, you know, whenever I can get a hold of them. Uh, Penelis cinctulis, though, is, is probably third place there where it's, you know, they're very mild, very... Uh, calm different way different type of trip i don't know what other like analogs are inside of them but you know much lower psilocybin content but have a relatively high bay assistant i believe um and they're you know they're the, like the little brown penalis lawn mushrooms that don't you know to anybody who sees this don't go picking unless you know how to identify them um and uh they're just yeah they're they're just another really nice chill kind of vibe i really enjoy relaxing you know I, I like to spend full trips sitting in front of a fire sometimes so any mushroom that makes me want to get up and dance and move around i'm like well this is not what i was trying to do tonight yeah <laughs> how about you man what are your favorite uh, species or strains well i've become partial to one called white teacher because it's a friend of mine michael blast friend of the podcast gave us that strain and it does really well you know i'm not a great cultivator by any stretch, but like I pride myself on having the capacity to cultivate and the white teachers have done really well. So kind of have a good relationship with that. Another strain called Alicabenzi, I've become favorable or become partial to, that's a good one. But like growing up, I always just had access to golden teachers, you know, that was kind of what was around. So I was buying a lot of golden teachers back when I lived in San Francisco, 
Penis Envy is good. You know, I've got some, I've got about a dozen strains right now in my culture bank, and I'm a really interested in wild mushrooms. I haven't actually had any of the azorescence or the OVO ones, right? I actually have spores, but I have not figured out how to cultivate them outdoors. So at some point, like I would like to get that dialed in. I've heard plenty about them. And the, the cyanessence I have tried at some point. So outdoor tech, I'm looking at that because like the more I think about it, like why are we investing all this money in like, you know, clinical setups with all this lighting and ventilation and all that? Like that's cool too, but like nature has created conditions where these things can just flourish outside and, and areas where, you know, I, I go to Oaxaca sometimes and like you go out to the, to the mountains there and there's mushrooms everywhere. I'm like, why not try to recreate those? And I know a few people who are advocates of that. So I'm hopeful that that's a, a chapter that's coming up soon, but um, yeah, the white teachers are good. The alicabenzies are good. I love the cabensis and um, I've got a couple of other ones of albino penis envy, wild Texas, probably those, but at the end of the day, like um, whatever I have that's available, whether it be me cultivating it or like regular access, that's what I'm most favorable, you know, most stoked about. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That, yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> whatever you can get your hands on is definitely your favorite at the time. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm just lucky that, that this strain, the one strain that I've, I have such a personal relationship with is a, um, so abundant in my area like you know between may and july the season just wrapped up but uh i got found a whole lot <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. that's what's up well you know we're hitting the sweet spot on the interview and i'm sure we could keep talking for hours so maybe at some point we'll do a part two here but before i let you go today would just love to hear if like there's any projects that you're working on that you want to share like any parting shots you know general things that you want to share with the audience about the farm boy slim universe, uh, that, that you have for us. As of now, I'm not working on any projects. Like in terms of projects, it would be a musical project. Um, what I'm doing right now is a lot of like duets and stuff. Um, and I'm kind of just warming up the, uh, I guess warming up the engines a little bit to get ready to get into a, a, an album mode. Um, haven't written in a full album in over two years now. So I'm kind of coming out of hiatus when it comes to music. Um, so yeah, that's, eventually coming but i have no like strict timeline on that um as far as you know what i'm really here for you know what my channel is all about um i want to just continue to stress to everybody that you know you can do as much as you want have as much fun as you want but be responsible be safe make sure that what you're doing is in alignment with who you are and that you're not being dishonest with yourself or you're not taking drugs to take drugs because you know, all of those things are going to get you into bad situations. I mean, I think that that kind of message there, that forewarning packaged in a, you know, mushroom costume is kind of what I'm most useful for. Um, just, you know, putting a, a putting enthusiasm behind the movement, but also tampering some of the more extreme enthusiasm of many like myself who have, could could or have gone way fucking overboard with psychedelics before. Um, yeah, just want everybody to be safe. I want this shit to be legal. I think it's fucking important. Um, but I want everyone, you know, or the most of us to be ready for that when it happens because we haven't had it. It's not really cultural. It's it's 
kind of countercultural at the moment still, even though it's so popular. Um, and it needs to be, it needs to be safe. Um, everybody needs to have this, you know, on their fucking minds before they, they take them before we actually get it legal. Um, and you know, I think it's a, a pretty quickly approaching deadline that that's actually going to happen. So, you know, that's what I'm doing. Just trying my fucking hardest to make sure everybody's safe. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Well, thanks for putting aside the initial first impression. And here we are, man. I'm glad that we did this. And it's been a pleasure to host you and to learn more about the Farm Boy Slim universe. So thank you for coming on the Micropreneur podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Dude, thank you for having me. I've had a fucking great time. Um, yeah, we could do it again sometime if we find that we have some things that we want to go over, address or whatever, have a good time. Yeah, man. Thank you. I've had a wonderful time and I look forward to seeing it. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many micropreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the microverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at micropreneur podcast, that's the handle, don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Micopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Micopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Micopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Micopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.